Hello, puppets. And you too, you sci-fi fans. Hi, it's Lee Ehrenberg. That's right, Pintel from Pirates of the Caribbean. And you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Rock on, big boy! to the Sci-Fi Diner Classic. This is episode 15. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I'm Miles P. McLaughlin. And we're bringing an interview that, wow, talk about an easy guy to talk to. Right, and very very fan-friendly, very approachable guy at a convention. Farpoint 2010, mm-hmm. we're sitting down with the good old Lee Ehrenberg. Right. How would they know Lee Ehrenberg? Well, if um, they've enjoyed the Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy, then they'll remember him as uh, uh, Pintel. He was one of the shorter stature pirates, um, but he, you know, he was paired up with another guy. They were kind of there for comedy relief, uh, but uh, also they would know him from uh, his work on, on, on Star Trek. I was gonna say, like, he, he is, uh, he's a Star Trek boy, right? He, he's played Ferengi. He's played Tellerites. Uh, he has done lots of other stuff, not not just sci-fi, but uh, he's, he's been on Seinfeld, uh, Charmed. Um, his uh, IMD page is a very impressive list of uh, uh, TV and, and movie credits. Yeah, he was in The Cape, but now The Funk Cape, right. and he's currently on Once Upon a Time. Oh, very good. I think he'd be a good fit for Once Upon a Time. He plays Grumble. <laughs> yeah, so. so I, I, I think he'd do great. It's there. great that he has some regular work. Was this right. is a re- regular reoccurring role with seven episodes. Good for him. So that's solid work for him. He, t- 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 he typically is a bit actor. He, yeah. Awesome, right? right. I mean, probably Pirates of the Caribbean is probably his biggest work to date. But he, he's done lots of stuff. And um, the interview is very enlightening. I mean, um, we're, we're kind of living in a recession right now. So he kind of gave us some hints about what's going on. With, uh, he was talking about the actor strike and all sorts of things like that. Right. So uh, we just kind of sat down. We said we had a list of questions to go ask him, and uh, we just kind of threw them out. Exactly. I mean, um, we just kind of we, we just it was a nice conversation. I think I asked one thing on those. It was the the obligatory, you know, about being in makeup and prosthetics, and and, and, and are you going to be in Pirates of the Caribbean for right? Uh, the answer was no. Right. So disappointingly, but. Uh, so, but I think that's about it. So enjoy our interview with Mr. Ehrenberg himself. And if you get a chance, come to Far, come to Farpoint. It's a good convention. Yeah. And if he is at a convention, make it a point to see him. Uh, he, he, like I said, very friendly, very approachable. Um, we'll have a good time. We promise we won't hurt you. 
find you, Bobby. You've got something of ours and it calls to us. The gold calls to us. The gold. Hello, Poppy. Polly! What? Polly! topic but i mean it is probably the most after what's johnny depp like i'd say that would be the most i won't ask you that question i do it because the guy's a great guy so obviously your fans are interested i don't think he's a real sci-fi he hasn't really done a good sci-fi one has he now that you consider alice in wonderland uh it's kind of whole cloth i think is it isn't tim burton like oh in reverence to the lewis carroll i'm kind of creating my own new kind of story kind of an annotation of an annotation or he, he redid Willy Wonka too yeah but they're maybe fantasy maybe yeah. more than anything there were some parts of Willy Wonka that were great but and obviously Johnny is I love Johnny he's a you know, friend but you don't you don't really mess with an original like you know the the Gene Wilder version that you know it's so iconic yeah okay. yeah Although I thought that, uh, you know, the squirrels and, uh, what's his name, um, he's my buddy from the gym now, he's based on his name, the little dude. Oh, yeah. Who played all the parts. Yeah, all, all, all the Oompa Loompas. Yeah. yeah. That was a great, uh, uh, Deep Roy. Yeah. Deep Roy. Yeah. So it was like Roy's thing, you know. It was so, 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 so much comedy in that part. Yeah, comedy, but also, uh, I mean, there's something about the lost child, the lost childhood of Willy Wonka in compared to Charlie Bucket's kind of like right you know here he has nothing but he's still able to make something out of his childhood and I think that's why he ends up at the chocolate factory right, right. it's you know obviously Roald Dahl probably came from a hard ups or a tough upbringing potentially right. at least that's what he sort of you know makes you think yeah, yeah. yeah. I think wasn't the, the the new movie I was told it was a little more closer to the book I think you mean the this one or you mean the the original I mean his version uh, Tim Burton's was it was I'm going to say that sounds good. You know, because the thing is, well, because I think I must have read the book when I was 12. Right. And that wasn't something I needed to reread before I saw the movie. Right. So I don't know. You know what I mean? Me either. I'm, you point that. Man. What's interesting to me is that the, the, how the studios are not really uh, going after books as much right now as they are kind of old TV shows or comic I know, books. I know, I know. Because I think a book's tougher to adapt and, and you know, there's those comic books you can pretty much go whole cloth and create a whole new world or based on just maybe one image of a character or one concept of a character. So, yeah. you probably, I mean, they're doing, redoing the A-Team. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that'll be cool. Me Because <laughs> the original show was kind of like, come on, it was so cheesy. It was very kind of, The best part of that was Mr. T. Uh, That's what I thought. I have some good Mr. T. I did a movie, um, not really sci-fi, but it was a movie called Freaked. Okay. Which was done by Alex Winter from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure <laughs> and his old directing partner, Tom Stern. And in it, basically, Randy Quaid runs this weird freak show, and everyone that kind of comes to check it out gets turned into a freak. Mm -hmm. So, Mr. T's the bearded lady. I played this guy called the Eternal Flame. Always had a flame out my butt, like Le Pen. Yeah, yeah. My, my, you know, we we had sort of a Hollywood Squares bit. Hano, 
solid, you know, like secret square. It's like totally. Uh, so Mr. Z would always invite me into his trailer, and he'd be like, Lee, we won't come to my trailer. And listen, uh, we'll drink some champagne and some uh, Dom Perignon. We'll listen to Reverend Lewis Terracon. <laughs> He's like always trying to get me to come in there and listen to what this other dude named Reverend Jasper Williams, fiery preachers. I love it. Mr. T's one of the good guys, mm-hmm. you know, because he is larger than life. And if you think about that story, I mean, they should do the Mr. T story because he uh, he came from like the toughest parts of Chicago, South Side. Mm-hmm. Now, all I can remember is when uh, you know he was at his height. There's Nancy Reagan. He's dressed as the White House Santa. And Nancy Reagan is sitting on his lap, you know. In the know. can you believe? I mean, that's, that's Mr. T. Yeah, I mean that's that's from the that's a Ronald Dahl story all over again. Well, in a, again, in a way, you know? I mean, in a way, it's a bootstraps. You know, you come build, put yourself up from the bootstraps, and and um and end up kind of. I mean, at the at the pinnacle, at least of you think about. Um, I don't know the rise for him. He had he had all that gold, right? And uh, he let me try it on. It was like 16 pounds of oil. And I was like, dude, you need a thousand bucks. Oh, 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 oh. I couldn't even imagine. Back then, I think it was like three quarters of a million dollars worth of gold. Now, comes when gold went up. It's ridiculous. Right. <laughs> wow. So anyway, it's wow. a, But I mean, that's part of it. I think that's the great thing, you know, about being a character actor, though, really, is you kind of bounce, bounce, bounce in projects. You, you end up with so many cool life and, and kind of experiences. Is that you consider yourself a character actor? I'm an actor that plays characters. Okay. They, everyone else considers me a character actor because I'm whatever, five foot six or bald or, you know what I mean? Right. Um, I always look at somebody that says, you're a character actor, I always look at that as a put down. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, you didn't hold you. Well, no, it's sort of like saying you just play small parts. Oh, yeah. I mean, in Hollywood, it has that connotation. Right. So, um, I proudly wear the label of character actor because I do think I create some fun characters, but it would be an honor to be called an actor that plays characters. I mean, that would kind of be the coolest thing they could ever say about my acting career, you know, as opposed to, like, I never play myself. Right. Do you know what I mean? I never. I've done, I just, in fact, did a movie last summer called, it's going to be called A Kiss for Jed Wood. It's a little Irish movie about basically a, um, an, an aging, a 40-something, call that aging, jeez, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, a, a 40-something Irish camera guy, cinematographer, who basically cannot get a, uh, he can't get the right gig for himself, and he's kind of on the end of his, not sure what to do, and so he takes a job as a reality show cameraman, and is assigned to follow this wild 20-year-old to New York as she stalks her favorite celebrity. And basically, I play the sound guy that they pick up in New York, um, you know, porno Mike from Jersey, you know, ex-porno dude who's like <laughs> lamenting the loss of porn industry, how it switched over to like now iPhones and flip phones and no great sound quality in porn anymore. He's like a colorful character. <laughs> Interesting character because he's kind of this observer and you kind of go, well, he's like a real, he's not, there's not much to the guy. And then as you get to know the guy, his observations are pretty spot on. And also, there's a depth and a compassion for the other guys, and he ultimately encourages his buddy, and then at the end of the movie, they kind of go off together to do the Irish guy's fantasy film, which is an, a Civil War movie about Irish, the, the uh, what do they call it, the Green Badge of Courage or something. Okay. And, uh, but that was probably the closest to me, and I've played in 25 years. Mm. So, you know, that's kind of fun to be able to kind of just make up 
or wear the makeup and, and you know, go kind of out there. I mean, if we look at your resume, I mean, probably think people think you as doing comedic roles, but you've done it all. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that it's, it's, I mean, there's probably a little too much of the comedy, mm -hmm. um, but you know, that doesn't mean that uh, I couldn't do the other kind of thing. You know what I mean? Uh, I think that, in, you know, I think in a lot of ways comedy is harder, you know, than the drama. Mm -hmm. uh, just because it takes the timing and it's very rhythmic. It's like being a jazz musician, mm -hmm. you know. But I enjoy, I enjoy the spectrum. I don't mind. I love the film. It could be television. I enjoy, I enjoy doing the radio or live, you know, doing theater. I think as an actor, you know, I think part of the fun is, if you're going to call yourself an actor, enjoy the journey. Mm -hmm. You know, find happiness in the process. Results lots of times don't, don't give you the, the happiness. But what, what, where you find your satisfaction is, you know, in the fact that you can call yourself an actor for one more day. Mm -hmm. Especially, you know, these days it seems to be, you know, it gets harder and harder all the time now with all the stuff that goes on in Hollywood and, you know, you're, you're constantly trying to change people's opinions of you. And Has the economy really hit Hollywood oh, really hard? Flattened, dude. Yeah. We started with the writer's strike. I know. That and when the writer strike happened, that gave the studios and all the, the executive producers a chance to jettison a lot of production deals, chance to cut a lot, a lot, a lot of people loose. Suddenly you have, like, now, you know, prior to the strike, you might have had, you know, 60% free agent and 40% had deals at studios, and then, you know, right? Now it's say 85% free agent. Then the hedge funds and all the money died. So the independent filmmaking can't get financed, right? So it really put, it took the power out of the hands of the movie star and gave it back to the studios. The other thing that's happening is studios are ponying up the huge upfront fees for the big stars. They're saying, I mean, obviously a Johnny or the ones they truly know are megastars, which there aren't many. But there, I can think of, I mean, I would say, you know, now, because what they'll do is they'll give this kid like Taylor Lautner 15 million or whatever it is. The dude, you know, we don't know. We don't know. I mean, Twilight, he was good. That, that movie was going to make a lot of money no matter what. Right. Didn't matter if I was playing that role. They would have gone see it. So, you know, I, I, more power to you, Taylor, and all that. I have no, I'm not at all, you know, jealous of that. The only thing I'm jealous of is the fact that suddenly you're getting 15 million and everyone else is going to be doing it for scale, mm -hmm. making you look good, Doc. You know, and obviously you don't know anybody anything, but, you know, in a way it's like, come on, I've worked 25, 30 years. I don't want to have to take a pay cut to, right. you know, be in the play, take a supporting role for you. Right. See what I mean? So ultimately, of course, I would have to because you got a family to feed. You got insurance. So, yeah, the economy crippled, crippled. The other thing then, uh, the other change in that's really prevalent is, you know, now suddenly parts that I would win, like my Seinfeld roles or sort of these character roles, the good character roles, Bruce Willis will do it. That's right. A lot of the big names are doing TV now. Yeah, man. And they'll, and they'll do it for, a, you know, a, they'll obviously get paid more than the other, than, than I would. So when, of course, they do it in a kind of sweepsy kind of way where they're trying to go for ratings. Sure. Totally understand it. I mean, the really only way to win is to be, to become more successful. Mm-hmm. You know, which kind of takes a little bit of the fun out of the game. It makes it work. 
It's ton, it is work, man. And tell us a little bit about pirates. I mean, we discussed briefly before we started recording here. Tell us, what's been going on with pirates for you? Well, I mean, the pirates four is not looking good for me. So, I mean, basically, we are O-U-T-L on that. Okay. Which, you know, it's been a great ride. I'm, I'm completely, totally disappointed, but I mean, what can you do? You know, the, the honest thing is, you know, hey, they're, they're saying they bought this book, they have all these characters, they don't want to just waste us in the background, and I'm like, dude, waste me. Yeah, <laughs> but that's I, if that that's that's what the writer that's what I heard and, and I'm I'm okay with it you know I would think though that um, with the new director maybe he wants his own brand of funny you know kind of stuff or um, do you think they'll change the tone of the movie I mean I you know what I mean I think Rob Marshall I like Chicago is okay nine nine blue um, the Geisha movie was beautiful and boring. So, I mean, I don't know what you're going to get. Maybe they're trying to get a, make a musical out of it. Maybe they're angling for a Broadway show. I don't know. You know, um, that's what it would seem to me why they would choose him to direct it. Uh, don't know the guy. Um, wish he would have, you know, I'm not sure it was even his call. I think it's, it was a Disney call that they, you know, don't have us back. But I know I read that my partner, Mackenzie, said he was ambivalent about it. And I don't think I'm ambivalent. I'm more... I'm just disappointed in it, right. you know? It's like being on the team and then suddenly realizing that you weren't one of the cool kids after all or something like that. Yeah, That's what it yeah. feels like, you know? Yeah. It just hurts my feelings. Um, it's too bad because, I mean, you really, I mean, three movies, there's such great chemistry between all you guys. It was such comedy. And it was so fun. Yeah. I mean, and the weird thing is, if they were saying, oh, totally, we want you guys to shift, I'd just go to them, dude, the first movie, the first thing I do is kill someone. Mm-hmm. You know, it was your call, studio's call, to kind of whack us into these comedic kind of uh, uh, commentators on the action, right. you know, kind of a Greek chorus. I mean, in the first movie, we're sort of funny bad guys with a lot of bad in us. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously we could have done that, but, you know, it's one of those things. I wish them all the best. I don't want, I, I, hopefully they can, you know, hopefully I don't find out in the first four seconds of the movie, oh, you know, Pintel was killed. Mm-hmm. And I would get my screen death, or I'd rather have them say I'm like running a pub on some island, so theoretically they could stop by for a rum or whatever, maybe figure, figure a way to get us back in the action. Do you think going to try and explain it? I don't know, it's an interesting question. I don't know, maybe, probably not. Yeah, they're probably, they could just pretend you weren't even there. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's ironic that like, the last thing in the movie of the third one is, okay, we're all chasing with the map and him, and uh, we're going after, although it was convoluted, we're going after... Uh, that uh, Fountain of Youth concept, and then this book, I think, is sort of based on that. What I read about Stranger Tides is it's kind of like, uh, you know, the lead character is sort of on a quest to find his puppeteer father or some weird stuff, so, <laughs> I don't know, and, and searching for the Fountain of Youth, and so I'm sure it'll be, like, an interesting deal. Anything with Johnny or Jeffrey or um, Kevin McNally, it'll be, I'll, I'll check it out. Maybe right. I'll wait. I'll go see it in the theater. I'll penalize them like five bucks until they send me a free copy. Of the thing. So, you know what I mean? Because that's just one of those things where it's like you know, you think you have something. That just that just really shows you the uh, not the unfairness, but the I don't know. It's the truth, you know, about the town. You know, yeah. if you're not, it, I mean, if you're not the the main dude in these franchises. Well, they fired Toby McGuire. Yeah, I was going to say, even if you are the main yeah. dude. Yeah. If you get old and can't fit the suit, don't want to work out. I mean, that obviously wasn't the case for me and my thing. I could be fat for anybody, but um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But the, uh, 
the unfairness sure. is not. They would never, nobody ever said it was fair, right? So we're, I'm okay with that. My thing is, let me land something else. It's hard to see the door, other door opening when you're staring at the one that is closing. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's tough. And, you know, I mean, half the time you feel like crying or yelling or smashing something. So it's just passion. Right? Well, on right. an emotional level, I mean, you know, all, all you contributed to the success of the Pirates. Uh, they were big gigs. For, that was a big gig for me. That was definitely, you know, it's definitely why I'm here. You know, it definitely was some of the other stuff I'd done was, you know, um, you know, people saw it, but you're basically kind of guest starring. I felt like I was kind of one of the stars of that one, so it was a pretty neat deal to feel like right. you were part of it. And then, and obviously, you know, they brought they 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 would hustle me a lot, Disney, to you know promoting a lot of their products, and I and it was good for other you know tie-ins and because they right. couldn't get the other dudes to come advertise for them. Hmm. Right. So in a way, being one of the LA-based uh, actors, one of the only ones. The only Americans in that movie were Johnny, me, and Martin Kleba. Everyone else was English or Australian or whatever. I mean, it was a huge break for me that they, that Gore Verbinski is such a stickler on his casting because he couldn't find short, bald, and crazy in London. You know, then I got the I had a chance to win the part. Right. So I'm still at the win the part stage, man. You got to prove it in yeah. this town, and, and I don't mind that. You know. I'd rather have to go in an audition than not get a crack at it at all. Right, right. You know, I'll take my chances. You know, well, you've done some Star Trek work in a while. Done a bunch of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Done a bunch of Star Trek. All sorts of series. Too. Right. I done first one I did. <clears throat> done. I did one New Space Nine. Then I did a couple of the Next Gens. Then I did um, a Voyager. And then I did the two parts on Enterprise, which right. was the United and Babel One, mm-hmm. where I played the. Uh, Tellerite? Tellerite Master. I'm a huge Star Trek fan, so yeah, I... Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, let's, let's get into it. <laughs> well, I mean, you've had to put on a lot of makeup and prosthetics. Sure. Not only for Pirates, but then the Ferengi part as well. The Ferengis, um... I mean, I did Dungeons and Dragons, which is a sort of fantasy, and that was just right. a weird, <laughs> big-ass beard. So, yeah, I've been dealing with the makeup a lot. Now, um, have you seen... I mean, some actors, you know... Complain about you know the discomfort with prosthetics. I mean, um, I mean, you're okay with it. I mean, I mean, some you know, there are some things that like will bother you. Mm-hmm. Uh, spirit gum, mm-hmm. the glueiness, the stickiness, the tackiness. It's mostly mental. Mostly wearing the makeup is a mental thing. It's going to be uh, uncomfortable. The key thing is getting respect from the makeup artist. Um, I, when I did that show, uh, Angel. They didn't give a crap about me. They didn't give a crap. So there was no fitting. So they slapped some, like, basic mask on me. The lenses don't fit right. I mean, basically, they burn my face. I mean, and so it can go horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. It can go horribly wrong. But let's say if they think they can break you, then they take care of you. If they think you're indestructible, you know... Fortunately for me, that all the makeup artists I work with, from Mike Smithson to Steve Anderson, all the guys on Star Trek, they respected who I was as an actor. They liked me as a person. So uh, Joel Harlow, for sure, who was my guy on Pirates for three movies, they took care of me. The key part of it is say you know when you first establish the makeup, it's like take it off with the same stuff every time. Mm-hmm. You use the same on your keep the pH on your skin even tone mm-hmm. because. On a Pirates, when you're wearing it for multiple, for hundreds and hundreds of applications, 
you know, you have to train the skin. Because it takes a real beating, rubbing the latex on and off. Whereas in Star Trek, um, you really may be suiting up only eight times in the makeup. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as long as... I don't know, I think you stay calm, you know, and especially in the taking off. So going into the makeup usually starts at 4 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning. It's early, you're tired, it's not going to be hard just to sit there. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's the getting out of it. I don't know if you know who Mark Alibo is, yeah. the actor who did a bunch of Star Trek. He's one of the most famous dudes ever for every time he'd be done, he wouldn't even wait to take the makeup off. He'd just peel it off, man. And I was like, dude, how do you do that? How do you do that with no remover, no nothing? All the time, I was so impressed. He'd just be like... And he had a lot of prosthetics. <laughs> he had the whole thing. You know, yeah, the whole thing. makeup, yeah. The worst of the makeups ever in Star Trek, the, the one, the only one that really ever hurt me or it kind of injured me, it was um, was on the Voyager. And the Voyager was that, uh, I played that Pelk who was a, um, what was that? A Malon. Oh, okay. Right, and we were the space garbage man. We had the most beautiful planet and we used to like... So guys would have to take the toxic waste, and it was a dangerous mission because they thought there was some sort of creature from the Black Lagoon, the Bahir, who was attacking them. It turned out it was just somebody who was mutated by the toxic sludge. So it was like a real dude. So, got dressed to play the Malon for my, whatever scenes I was shooting in the morning, and then the last scene I should work for the day was a death scene where I get my face scalded off. So... The way they do that is they still keep your alien makeup on and they add and they build on top of that the burn effects. Well, if you sit in the makeup for 8, 12, 14 hours, it comes off pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Your, your oils have worked in it. If you're only in it for an hour or two, it ain't coming off with, with, the, with the glue they put on there. So you're essentially glued in and so they really have to get in there and really scrub it off and Ooh. you know pull it off your face to get it out of there. <laughs> I don't think people realize... I mean, getting into what, like you said, getting it off is, is the hard part. Getting it off is the part when you want it off. Mm-hmm. It's the only time it really starts to get impatient. Because when you're getting into it, your mind is, oh, okay, i got a full day, full day. Right. Like, say, pirates, the makeup wasn't a bummer for me. The beard and the mustache were a bummer. Because <coughs> you can't really eat. You can't, you know, it's, it's always being chased by your makeup artist. That's the thing they chase you all day. Because... In other words, you and, and your makeup artist and your hair person, for me, when you're adding the hair, too, it's, it's a real kind of like mutual relationship. I don't want to go in front of the camera and be able to have them see the lace of my beard, so I'm going to have to spend that extra time to, every time before a shot, go get a check, go have someone look at it, go have a poke it, glue it down, glue it, you know? We're working in 90 degrees and 90% humidity. It's like not much is going to stick to that. You know, especially if you've gone out and had a few beers the night before or had some spicy food or whatever. All that pH stuff will add into the equation. <clears throat> so that's why, you know, these guys that are do a seven-year run on a Star Trek and, uh, you know, Ethan or some of these characters that wear a lot of the makeups over it, man, they burned that dough. They burned that mansion on the hill. <laughs> Whereas some of the guys, you know, hey, if you're, a, if you're just you know, Dominic or someone who gets to kind of a little powder on. I'm like, dude, I don't know if you really heard your man. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Because those, but it's interesting how the makeups really. If you look at the original uh, Star Trek, I don't think any of them had makeup. I mean, Spock had a little bit, you know. But um, obviously, they've, they've with Mike Westmore and his contribution really to to the to the stories through creating these amazing, amazing. I mean, go to the the lab at Paramount with 
of all the great stuff they have, it's just like some stuff you only they only have just to be in the background or kind of in right. the cantina kind of shots. Right. Those quote cantinas, so. right? But they always went all out. I mean, with, with yeah. their even with the background characters. Absolutely. Well, you know, okay. the thing about the background is. You can do it in, say, a less specific way, depending on which part of the background. Because mm-hmm. if you're in the closer background, you're going to have to be pretty much fully done up. So if you the further back, you might be able to get away with the people in the very back, just because mm-hmm. of the way a camera is. It can only focus certain... won't be able to focus on that whole depth of field. So, but for most of it, yeah, they go through it. And they go through the same thing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And then, of course, they have the great... I mean... The girls always look good, the bodysuits. 